Thanksgiving. If you have your Bibles today, maybe you have a tablet or you have a phone where you can find the Word of God. Or if you're new to the church, we're going to put a lot of these scriptures up on the screen. You could follow along up on the screen as well. Turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to continue a series that we started last week called The Church. And so we talked about the church last week. We talked about the church being a family. Every Sunday we get to come together and have a, a family dinner, what we call a family dinner. Now today, you really do get to eat, okay? So you get to eat a waffle. So it really is a, a family dinner today. But what I said is it's just us getting together. The Bible says that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family. The Bible says God sets the solitary in families. The church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ, and he puts us together as a family unit. And so we come together every Sunday, 9 o'clock. We had a great crowd here at 9 o'clock. At 11 o'clock, you're here. We come together as a family. We worship together, we, we learn together, we laugh, we cry, uh, we bring our children, they have a great time, uh, our young adults, our, our, our middle school students, singles, married couples, retired, still working. So we have all these different backgrounds, different nationalities, we all come together, but we come together as a family. And so we said this, this is the way God grows his church. First of all, he grows it by relationships. He grows it relationally. Today I want to talk to you about something that I think is so important. If he grows it relationally, the second way he grows the church is this way. He grows it generationally. God grows his church by generations. And this is so important for us to learn today. Psalms 145 verse 4 says this, One generation shall praise his works to another generation, shall declare his mighty acts. That is the way it's supposed to be. One generation praises him to another generation, and then that generation praises him to another generation. That is God's pattern of how the church should grow. But let me tell you, I see something happening in our nation and I've seen it now happening for decades. Jesus said something. He looked at the Pharisees and he said, how is it that you can discern the weather? You see cloud patterns and you say, hey, today it will rain. But you can't discern the signs of the time. Some of you may have noticed that there is a cultural shift. There is an ungodly tsunami that is wiping and just out, out our kids and our young adults. It is sweeping over our nation. There is wave after wave of an ungodly, evil, demonic agenda that is happening in America today. And if we do not wake up, if we do not open our eyes, if we do not stand to fight against it, we are going to lose this next generation. We're going to lose our children. We're going to lose our grandchildren. We're going to lose generations to come if we don't do something about it. And so today I want to talk to you about it. Genesis, I mean, uh, Daniel chapter 1 
Let's start at verse number three. Here's what the word of God says. Daniel 1.3, it says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz. How many of you are glad your name is what it is today? The master of the eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Listen to this. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Listen to what happened. They took the best of the best. They took young, good-looking men, smart, possessing knowledge. I was thinking to myself that if I had been living back then, I'd have been taken. You know what I'm saying? I just, I just think I had no chance. I had no chance whatsoever. But listen to what it says. First of all, to teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Now listen to verse 5. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. And three years of training for them so at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So this is what happened. They changed four things about these young men. They changed, first of all, their language. They tried to change the words that were coming out of their mouth. The second thing they changed was their appetite. They tried to change what they desired on the inside of them, the things that they craved. Then they changed their education. They submitted them to three years of training. And then finally, they changed their name. And let me tell you, the same thing is happening today. The enemy has not learned any new tricks because the old ones are working. And he is still after our kids. He's trying to change the words that come from their mouth the desires of their heart, the training and the education of their mind, and ultimately change their name. Get them to have a whole new identity to where they don't even identify anymore by the name to which they were called. It is demonic. It is nothing new. It is something that the enemy has done for generations, and he is still doing it today. And listen, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, wherever you are at, we have got to wake up. It is time to get desperate. Listen to these statistics. Did you know that 75% of all kids raised in church, the minute they graduate high school, they walk away from church and they walk away from their faith. That means if you have three children, the minute they graduate high school, two of them will no longer serve God. If you have four kids, three of them will walk away from the faith. How is this happening? It's because the enemy is targeting them. He is after your children. And there is a secular, humanistic, ungodly agenda that's being unleashed on college campuses. The devil is after this generation. I remember hearing just this week a story of a dad 
He was so desperate. I was listening to the story of a dad who had a young girl raised in church all her life. Raised in church, went to a Christian school. Graduated at the top of her class in a Christian school. Was a leader in the youth group. They sent her off to a college to get all these scholarships. So they sent her to a secular college. And in four weeks, she calls her parents. And she says to her dad, Dad, I no longer believe God exists. How does that happen? How can somebody be raised in church all their life? How can somebody be a leader in the youth group? How can somebody go to a Christian school and in four weeks' time, four weeks' time, they don't even believe God exists. Listen to the quote by this scientist uh, who is a professor at the University of Texas in Austin. Listen to this quote. Just throw that up real quick. Listen to what he says. Stephen Weiberg says this. If scientists can destroy the influence of religion on young people, then it may be the most important contribution that we can make. How many of you like to have one of your kids in his class every week? I mean, after all, that young girl said to her dad, well, dad, the professor, he graduated from an Ivy League school, so he must know what he's talking about. I mean, this is the battle that we are facing. This is the fight that we are up against. So what can we do? I want to give you three things that we could do. Number one is this, get them to church as often as you can. Listen, that is only a start, but it is a start. You say, well, pastor, what if they don't want to come? Well, what if they don't want to bathe? Do you let that just slide too? Or do you go up to them and say, hey, you stink. You need to take a bath. You have body odor. Well, sometimes we need to go up to our kids and say, you know, hey, spiritually right now, you stink. And you need to get to church. Huh? And, and let me tell you, you need to get there. It's not the answer. It's just a start. You need to expose them to an atmosphere. Get them to a place. Whatever it takes. Listen, I know I'm old school. Y'all have been around for a while. I know I kind of, I, I just... I just believe that if they live in your house and you're paying their bills and you're putting a roof over their head and you're putting food on the table, then they listen to what you say. Come on now. And if they don't like it, there goes the cell phone. Boom, it's gone. In fact, don't even take the cell phone. Take the charger. It's better to just watch their face as the battery just slowly... As they just watch the battery just drain away and watch their face as it just counts down. Huh? That's more fun. Just take the charger. Huh? That's just what I believe. Hey, it's your house. Come on now. Amen. And so Joshua said this, as for me and my house, we will serve God. We're going to serve God. He didn't say, as for me, and let me check with the kids. No, he said, as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. We're going to serve God. We're going to get to church. We're going to believe in God. I'm going to do everything I can. Amen. And it's a start. It's not the answer. It is just a part of the answer. Amen. We have youth, by the way, this Wednesday. Little, little, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Once a month, we have young adults, the first Friday of the month. It just happens to be this Friday. 
Do everything you can. Get them to church in any way that you can. Huh? The second thing is this. Model genuine faith. Genuine faith. Maybe one of the reasons our kids walk away from church and Christianity is because they see mom and dad act one way on Sundays. Come on now. And they behave a different way the rest of the week. Listen, if it's not genuine, if they don't see that it's real, if they don't see that you're passionate, if they don't see you reading the word of God, if they don't hear you praying, huh? then it's not going to be real to them. It's just make-believe. It's just fairy tales. It's just something we do to punch a time card, to check a box. Hey, we go to church on Sundays, but it has no impact on our life. Christianity should affect your everyday life. And they need to see it modeled. They need to see that you worship. They need to see that you worship in church and out of church. Huh? I, I, I made a deal with my son who's 19 years old. And, man, he, I, I'm so grateful that he loves God and he's in Bible school. And he wants to be a missionary and serve God. And, and I made a deal with him when he was 10. Here was the deal. You can say what I say. You can watch what I watch. And you can listen to what I listen to. I made that deal when he's 10. Now, it doesn't work when they're four. You'll be, you'll be nothing but the Disney Channel. You know what I'm saying? So that, I got to have my John Wayne. So don't do it when they're four. But somewhere around eight to 10, I made a deal with him. I said, you can watch what I watch, listen to what I listen to. You could say anything that I say. Any words that come out of my mouth, you could say them. Huh? Now listen, did, did, did I have to struggle with that? I mean, did I have to watch myself? Huh? See, I don't think we should, we should have our, our kids and say, hey, we're Christians, we love God, but listen, it's adult time now. We're going to just watch something that you can't watch, huh? How many of you know kids catch on? They're smarter than you think they are, amen? They're watching everything we do, and they're listening to everything that we say. D- do you remember Blockbuster video? Did any of you have stock in Blockbuster video? I'm just wondering. We'll pray for you at the end of service, but... Remember how you used to go into a store and, and there would be boxes? And so when my son was 10, we'd walk into Blockbuster Video and there'd be all these boxes and he'd be so excited. He said, oh, dad, let's, let's pick out a movie. So he'd be, you know, walking down the aisle and he'd see this movie and the cover would catch him or he thought it was really cool. So he'd grab it and the first thing he did is he'd turn it over and he'd scroll right to the bottom. Oh, dad, look, brief nudity. Put that one back. Huh? Why? Because he saw that I did that. He knew those things weren't acceptable in our home. We didn't allow them in our home. We didn't watch those. Kind of, no, they're not welcome. We raised the bar. We raised the standard. Listen, you have to model genuine faith. It has to mean something to you. They have to see that you're serious about this thing. This isn't just something we do on Sundays. Listen, we live this thing out every day of our life. Amen? You have to model genuine faith. And then the third thing is this. Teach them a biblical worldview. Man, this is so important. This is crucial. What I mean by a biblical worldview is this. Everything that exists, everything that we see, we see it through the eyes of the Bible. It's not a scientific worldview, right? We don't don't believe in a scientific worldview where we use science to explain everything. 
We see everything through the, the lens of God's word. How many of you know this book is true cover to cover? How many of you know this book is absolute truth? How many of you know that we don't explain, you know, the Bible based on, on the world? We explain the world based on the Bible. Amen? How many of you know that this thing is true? Listen, if it says six days, six days. If it says there was an ark, there was an ark. If it says that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, then there was a big fish that took one big gulp and swallowed him whole. This is not a bunch of fairy tales made up. We believe some, but not the rest. We see everything through the truth of God's word. Amen? This is our standard. This is our moral code. This is our instruction manual for life. It is the Bible, and we teach our children from a biblical worldview. Biblical worldview. And the reason why we're losing them is because they're going off to these colleges, and these professors are mocking God. And they're saying it's not true and, and it's made up and make-believe and they try to twist and they try to manipulate and we need to teach and train our children. Several years ago, uh, I was talking with Jeff and Siga Irizarry. Jeff and Siga lead our young adults. And I was talking, in fact, I was talking, I know I was talking one-on-one -on -one with Jeff and we were talking about what's going on with young adults and, and our kids and our youth and our teenagers and we started talking about the need to teach absolute truth and something that, that we referred to as apologetics. Apologetics is where Christians learn to defend their faith against an ungodly, humanistic, demonic, huh, agenda. Why do you believe what you believe? It's not enough to just tell our kids what to believe. It's why do you believe it? How can you defend that there is a God in heaven who loves you, that you were made by human hands and not the product of two rocks who just happened to lose their GPS? Huh? How do you know that there is a God who really exists? And so we started talking, and, and Jeff and I were talking and said, Jeff, and so he began to investigate. I said, let's start a small group. Where we, where we teach our, our high school seniors and college freshmen. And we started it like two years ago and said, teach high school seniors and college freshmen. Pre prepare our seniors for what's going to happen when they step foot on that college campus. And these college freshmen, and talk to them, teach them to defend their faith. Listen, I've put too much time and hours and prayer. I have prayed for my children. I've believed God for them. I changed their diapers. I fed them. I bathed them. I did all of that. I did too much work to lose them. Amen? Yeah. Amen? And so did you. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, you did not do all that work to lose them to some ungodly, demonic, humanistic agenda. But that's what's happening. So we have to say, listen, there is a worldview out there and it is based on the Bible. And we just cannot afford to teach Christian values. We have to teach Christianity. And what I mean by that is this. Listen, absolutely, I believe in love, joy, peace. I believe in the fruit of the Spirit. I teach those. I, I, I believe in them. We should walk in them every day. But also there's this. There's the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a real heaven and there's a real hell. And there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And listen, Christianity is a matter of life and death. Amen? Christianity is not some crutch that you lean on. 
When times get hard. No, here's what Christianity is. Christianity is a parachute that you cling to. Guess, guess what? We all get pushed out of the plane. One day we're all going to take a jump. Listen, one day we're all going to slip into eternity. And we have got to hold on to what we believe and declare that we cannot afford to let it go. Amen? And the same is true for our children. It is a matter of life and death. I remember as a teenager, we used to go down to, to this thing in, in Key West called the Fantasy Fest. And we would go witnessing in October down in the Keys. I don't suggest going unless you're going there to witness. I'm just throwing that out as a warning because it is, it's just crazy. And I remember going there, and this was now in the 80s. And I remember one particular year, I went like six years in a row, and one particular year, it was incredible what happened. This is a a party similar to Mardi Gras, if you've heard of Mardi Gras, it is is wild. I mean, you'll see things that you shouldn't see. It's ungodly, it, it is demonic. But here's what happened one year. Every year they do a parade. They do it on Halloween night, they do this big parade. So my youth pastor decided to get the idea. He said, we're entering the parade. So here's what we said, we need a float. So we began to bounce ideas off off of each other. And and here's what we did. We got a hold of a hearse. We knew somebody with a hearse. And we got a hold of a coffin. So we had a coffin and a hearse, and we dressed up six men as pallbearers. And my brother-in-law, Scott, we put him in the casket. What happens is during this float, you get to the the main stage and you have two minutes to make a presentation. And so we pulled up the hearse right up to the main stage. Six guys in black got out and they walked back and they opened the door of the hearse and they rolled the casket out and they turned around and they walked the casket out a few feet and they just set it down on the ground my brother-in-law pops out now this is you know Halloween night and he pops out and he's dressed in all black with a white shirt black suit black tie and we put a microphone with a you know we we called a, a half mile hailer which is a giant bullhorn and we put it to his mouth and here he grabs the microphone and he says this I just took a ride that every one of you will take. He said, I took a ride that every one of you will take. And he began to explain to them the gospel. How many know the gospel isn't just God will help you? Sure he will, absolutely. God will make you more comfortable. That's, that's not what it's about. How many of you know there's a God in heaven who sent his son Jesus? And here's what he did. He died for our sins. He forgave us. He washed us clean so that we don't have to spend eternity apart from him. And he began to explain to them the gospel. And then the, the half-mile hailer got put away. Scott got back in the casket. They put him back in the hearse, and we drove off. Several months later, my youth pastor got a letter. Here's what it said. It's from the board of directors of the Fantasy Festival. You have won first place 
That's the true story. It said, you have won first place in this year's annual Fantasy Fest parade. And they sent my youth pastor a giant trophy. And he got up and said, woo, first place, yeah. But how many of you know it wasn't about trophies? It was about a matter of life and death. Let me tell you, we need to teach our children going to church, serving God, living for God is not something that is casual. You can do it, you can not do it. Sometimes we treat careers and making money and getting the education as far more important. It is not more important. Nothing is more important. Why? Because this is life and this is death. And we have to teach that to our kids. I remember years ago, the actor who played Archie Bunker, his name was Carol O'Connor. And I remember they did a, a PSA announcement and it was a commercial that went on TV. Some of you may have seen it, you may remember it. Carol O'Connor had a son who played with him in the heat of the night that died of a drug overdose. And the camera is like this close to Carol O'Connor's face. And he says this, get between your kids and drugs any way you can. And I remember watching it, and you see the pain and the heartache of a father who's lost his son, pleading with a generation pleading with moms and dads, saying, whatever you have to do, get between your kids and drugs. And I almost want to plead the same way. Whatever you have to do, stand against the ungodly, demonic agenda that is trying to take your children, your grandchildren, and every generation to come. Do whatever is necessary. But I got good news. You say, Pastor, thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> I'm walking out of here depressed. No, I've got great news. Are you ready for the good news? You do the possible. Guess what? God does the impossible. Amen? I said, you do the possible. God does the impossible. I'm so far from a perfect parent, I wish I could redo much <laughs> of what I did. I, I lost my temper way too many times. I screamed, I yelled, I grabbed an ear, I twisted it. I did all sorts of things I wish I could take back. But I know this. Listen, God does the impossible when we do the possible. When we do the natural, God does the supernatural. When we do what we can, he does what we can't. Amen? If I do my part, God will do his part. And we raise them in church and we believe God, we plead God, we plead to God with them, we do everything we can. Listen, then we release them to God and say, Holy Spirit, have your way in their life. But I'll tell you this, I will never give up. I will never back down. I will fight for my children every day of my life because they are my gift from God and I will continue to fight for them. Amen? Because that's how God grows his church. He grows it generation to generation to 
generation. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close?